Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to share God's word with you this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 13 uh, this morning as we continue on in our Songs for Every Season series, looking through the Psalms over the summer months. Uh, and so if you have your Bible there, it might be helpful to, uh, to turn to it, to flick it on uh, and have a look at Psalm 13. As you're, as you're doing that, um, let me explain one of the reasons why I love this Psalm. Uh, during the, the summer of 2006, which is a frightfully long time ago, uh, I was between my second and third year of Bible college here in Belfast. And as part of that course, the, the students were encouraged to complete an international placement. What a wonderful opportunity. And so for six weeks, uh, without going into all the details, I had the wonderful privilege of going to Wisconsin in America and working as part of the youth ministry team at a big church near Milwaukee. Um, but while I was there, one of the many things that uh, I learned and experiences that I had when I was there, I, I happened to discover uh, some new, new for me anyway, uh, Christian music. Uh, I can't remember whether the CD was in the car that someone gave me the lend of during the time I was there, or, or whether I, I bought the CD when I was there, but I started listening to an album by artists called Shane and Shane. Um, now, they've been around for a while. Uh, some of you may be familiar with their music, um, but I hadn't heard much of them before until I got hold of this album, which was a, a live recording of a concert that they had done. Uh, and so I listened to this CD, um, just as a, an aside, remember CDs? Uh, I listened to this CD and, and I fell in love with track three and it's simply called Psalm 13. And I'd highly recommend finding that song, enjoying it, uh, spending some time listening to it. But there were a couple of things that struck me about this song. Uh, firstly, I, I was amazed at how close the lyrics actually were to the biblical text itself. Um, now, now that maybe sounds silly and, and I... But I just simply hadn't heard much like it before. Uh, if you've been around church for a while, you'll know that every song we sing is packed full of scriptural truth. Yes and amen. Uh, but, but there aren't that many songs that we sing that are almost exactly the biblical text set to music. Um, and of course, that's what the Psalms are. It's a songbook, essentially. Uh, they are songs, but of course, we just have the lyrics. We don't have the original melodies with which they, to which they would have been sung. So to hear God's word sang like this, uh, was, was a new experience for me. And the second thing that struck me about this song, however, uh, was the reality of the words that were being sung. And by that, of course, I mean the reality of the words of Psalm 13. There's something so raw, so emotional, so heartfelt, so painful, yet so hopeful about Psalm 13. Uh, and, and as I listened to Shane and Shane sing them, uh, these words just seem to become ingrained in my mind in, in a new and a fresh way. Uh, and indeed, I, I struggle to read through the psalm without their melody in my head. Uh, and so I'd encourage you to listen to it as well. Uh, so in a, in a moment, we're going to read Psalm 13 and spend some time studying it this morning. Uh, and I hope as we do, you'll see the rawness in the words. Uh, I hope you see the emotion of the words that David penned. Uh, I hope we grasp the heartfelt cry of David as he wrote these words originally. And I hope that we see the hope with which this song ends. You see, for me, Psalm 13 has become the example that I always turn to when I think of someone being honest and open in their prayers with God. It's the psalm I turn to when I find myself in, in, in difficulty or starting to doubt God's goodness or why I'm facing a particular situation. And that's why it's a good psalm for us to consider as part of this series. This song's for every season series because there are many examples during uh, throughout the psalms of words of praise words of adoration words of joy words of thanks 
uh, just think back to Psalm 8, which Jack led us through a couple of weeks ago. Yes and amen. Thank God that these psalms are written down for us. They express emotions of, of praise and adoration in ways that we can't find the words to sometimes. But the psalms also contain many examples of someone in distress, someone in anguish, someone in pain, in fear, facing doubt, facing darkness. And thank God that those psalms are in here too. Because some of us find ourselves in that kind of place this morning. Some of us find ourselves hearing the praises that we've sung already in our service this morning. And we know them to be true. We long to sing them with gusto. But we simply struggle because we feel so weighed down. And that's why the Psalms are such a gift to us from our good Father. Because in this collection of songs and prayers, we find a song for every season. And so as we've mentioned, the Psalms are so helpful for us because they display every facet of human emotion, every facet of human experience, the good, the bad, and the in-between. And it, so it's good and it is right for us to consider these Psalms, which speak to us in, in, in these times in life, whether we're struggling or whether we're in a place of joy. The Psalms uh, express words similar to those. So Psalm 13 is definitely one where we find David in distress coming to his God. Now, with all that being said, if you are feeling joyful and, and hopeful and, and happy and chirpy this morning, then, then please don't switch off and think that the next 20 minutes are going to be heavy and intense. Uh, that, that's not the case, because as I mentioned earlier, there is such hope in this psalm. Verse 6, the final verse, finishes on such a lightness uh, as David remembers the hope that he has. And so this psalm shows that even in the midst of difficulty, God can, God should still be praised. And we have hope because of that. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in this morning, uh, however you might be feeling, this is a good psalm for us to spend some time in. It could be immediately helpful for you as you find yourself resonating immediately with David's words. Or or it's one maybe for you to keep in the locker, safe in the knowledge that that when trial and difficulty do come, uh, we know God's truth and we can rely on on his words in those moments too. So let's turn together to Psalm 13 and read these six verses together. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your word. And we pray as we reflect on it, as we consider uh, what you may want to teach us this morning, Father, may you speak clearly and powerfully to us. May the meditations of my mind, the words of my heart, the words of my mind, uh, be praiseworthy to you, I pray. Amen. Psalm 13, these, these wonderful words, uh, both in, in terms of their descriptions of emotions that many of us uh, have faced or are currently facing, 
but also in the encouragement of how this psalm ends, turning our attention back to the character and the activity of God. What a great psalm. And that's one of the main aspects of this song that that captures my attention, that swing in focus, the stark contrast between how the psalm starts and how it ends. And it seems to us that for such a different ending to have occurred, there must be a monumental shift in the middle. But actually, we're not told about that monumental shift in the middle. We, we, we would expect there to be some kind of direct intervention, some reason for, for this concrete hope that shifts David, David's perspective. But, but we don't see it, actually. We, we don't know of any change in the situation that David explains in verses 1, 2, and 3. And how he then responds in verses 5 and 6. We don't know the change that takes place, but there's something. It's as if we're missing the middle part. But actually, I wonder whether the fact that we're not told of any change in David's circumstance is part of the point. See, see Phil mentioned this last week. We're very quick to, to give praise to God for the gifts that he gives. Uh, and maybe we sometimes forget to just praise him as the giver of those gifts. And in this case, it could be that we're waiting for, to see God's intervention before we would understand David's reason for praise. But actually what this psalm shows is David finds himself in despair. He praises God, not because of a change in his circumstance, but because of who God is. And so if I could summarize what I think we're going to see in this psalm, I would say that this morning we see David moving from what he's feeling, what he's thinking about his experience, And he moves from there to what he knows to be true about God. And we effectively, therefore, see David say, I feel, but I know. I feel, but I know. It seems like this, but I know this. And so let's begin, uh, as David does, by looking at the situation that he finds himself in uh, and how it's making him feel, what, what things are seeming like to him. And I suppose that the first thing that we recognize from this psalm is that, that we're not told the specific situation that David finds himself in that's making him feeling so downcast. Uh, so unlike what we saw last week uh, from Psalm 3, that there's a very clear background in history which led David to write that psalm. We're not told of that specific situation here for Psalm 13. Whatever it is, though, it is clear that David is struggling. He, he's finding things tough. He is going through it. Uh, And we see that clearly by the repeated question, how long? Four times in the first two verses, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David is in deep despair, doubting despair. He's crying out to God, how long? Uh, And this question runs deep. It seems to affect every part of him. Those first two questions speak to his understanding of God. Will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face? And then he's showing the inner turmoil that he's in himself. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and have sorrow in my heart? And then the ridicule that he's facing from those around him. How long will my enemy triumph? How long, Lord? And I'm sure many of us have asked that question. How long? And I don't know what the the rest of that question looks like in your experience. I don't know how you would fill in that blank. But the reality is that many of us uh, have had to, or maybe even currently are, painfully waiting for God in in what seems like a situation where where hope is almost all but lost. 
And often a question is not just an issue of timing. It's not just a question of, hang on God, I expected this by now. But actually the question goes deeper. And it causes us to ask questions of the very nature of God. The God that we expect these things from, that we would have expected to see act in some way. And that's what David does here. How long, Lord? How long, firstly, will you forget me forever? These questions are causing David to doubt the very truths that he he thought he knew of God. How long will you forget me forever? But but wait a minute, doesn't God's word promise that he will never leave us, never forsake us? Deuteronomy 31.6 Yet yet when we experience what we think is absence of God, or we see a lack of response from him, it causes us to question whether God has remembered us at all. Does does he even remember that we're here? Does he remember that we're waiting on him? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But hang on a minute. I I thought God's word said in the blessing that was intended for the Israelite priests that may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Number six. This symbol of God's face being turned to his people, that understanding of his blessing, his protection, his provision, his grace. But no, David is saying here, how long will you hide your face from me? David can't see that protection, the provision, the grace, the face of God. You see, the the reality of waiting can often lead us to to question the character of God, the, the promises he's made, the faithfulness that we thought we would experience. And that seems to be the case for David here. And some of us may find ourselves in a similar place this morning. Some of us have been praying for the the same thing, the same situation, the same person, uh, maybe for years and years, and, and it seems like we're not seeing anything change. And so our hearts cry out to God, How long, Lord? But at least the encouragement from the psalm here is that it's okay to ask that question. This gets to the heart of our, of our series title for the summer, Songs for Every Season, as we mentioned earlier. You see, there may be some of us in this place this morning of questioning, of, of, of painful doubt. And in our quiet moments, we might think these things. How long, Lord? But, but maybe we think we can't share them with God. Certainly, maybe we perceive that we can't share them with others. I, I, I can't let other people know that I'm doubting like this. But no. The example that we see from David here is that we can bring our honest, our raw, our heartfelt emotions to God. And in fact, not only can we bring those emotions, but we should. Time and time again throughout Scripture, we're, we're encouraged to lay our whole selves before God in, in worship. We cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. We give him full and free reign in our lives. And so how can we do that if we're holding back these emotions? But no, David comes before his God. He says, how long? Four times how long? See, God is able to hear these cries of of honest anguish. And I think that the, the number of times we see them in Scripture show that not only is God able to hear them, but he welcomes them. He wants us to come to him 
with these heartfelt emotions, not put on some facade before him as if everything's okay. Come in before him with our genuine, heartfelt, honest prayer. And so we, we see from David's prayer here that he feels abandoned, he feels let down, he, he feels tormented in his own heart and in his mind. He feels that, that the world is against him. That's how the situation feels to David. And so he honestly comes before his God, he, he expresses these feelings to the one who hears. And moving on through the psalm, through verses 3 and 4, uh, we might begin to see God, we might expect to see God's uh, beginning of a response uh, to David's questions, but we're not there yet. Continuing on in verses 3 and 4, David cries out, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. David's appealing to the Lord here, isn't he? Look on me, Lord. Answer me. I'm at the end of my tether. Give light to my eyes. Light, that is that, that symbol of hope, of, of, of life. Give light to my eyes because the darkness just seems to be all-encompassing, overwhelming. Not only that, David's enemies are rubbing their hands at the, the state of play. They're, they're rejoicing in the mess that David finds himself in. And so again, these verses reinforce that image of desperation that David is in. It, not, it seems to be getting worse. And then, then we enter verse 5. Verse 5 that begins with this glorious little word, three letters that change everything. And these three letters appear throughout Scripture, and often when they do, everything changes. Michael helped us to see one example of this in Ephesians 2 in the online study videos that are available on the, the church's YouTube page. And there are many other examples in Scripture where we see these three little letters. And when we see them, we see a dramatic change. We even saw these, this word last week in Psalm 3, when David again says, I'm feeling this, these three letters appear, and everything changes. And remember the, the, the theme of today's sermon, our time in this Psalm 13. I feel, but. I feel, how long, Lord? Answer me, look on me, give light to my eyes, but. And we've, we've already seen the reality through David's eyes. He's, he's shown us how he's experiencing this incredibly difficult situation. We, we've seen the apparent absence of God, the inner turmoil, the, the ridicule from around him, but. The, the story isn't over for David. Something is going to change. And before we recognize this dramatic change in David's perspective, Let's again remember what we said earlier. The reality is nothing about David's circumstances has changed yet. David's perspective isn't changing because his circumstances are changing. He doesn't explain some miraculous intervention from God in the middle of the mess that he's going through. Something radically is going to change for him despite circumstances not changing. And this is another reason why I love this psalm. Not only does it give words to the emotions that some of us feel sometimes, not only does it bring hope that we're going to turn to in a minute, but it does so without promising any change to the circumstances we find ourselves in. This is not necessarily a happily ever after kind of psalm. This psalm does not begin with David crying out, how long? And it ending with, ah, there it is. No, instead, what God is showing us through this psalm, as he worked in David's heart, 
was the truth that we are to cling to even when the circumstances seem to question the very essence of that truth. This psalm shows us the truth that we are to cling to even when the circumstances around us are, are causing us to doubt that truth. So as David has explained all of how he feels, what the situation feels like now, he reorientates himself to what he knows. But, verse 5, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Even in the midst of the high longs, even in the midst of the cries, David chooses to trust. David chooses to rejoice. David chooses to praise. David chooses to recognize God's goodness. I feel, he has said, I feel, but I know your love never ends. I know your salvation is complete. I know you still deserve praise. I know that you have been good. Or as the ESV translates that, verse 6, how bountifully you have dealt with me. I feel, but I know. Now, I hope this in no way comes across as as, as flippant or ignorant. I'm not suggesting, because I don't think the psalm is suggesting, that that what we feel or how we are perceiving things is irrelevant or, or not important or somehow insignificant. I'm not suggesting the psalm is just telling us to to casually sweep away our deepest pains and simply move on. Not at all. What I think this psalm is showing is that in the middle of what David is experiencing, he chooses to say the but. He's not pretending the first four verses now don't matter. Rather, he's claiming the reality that even though what he's going through, he knows that God hasn't changed. He knows that God's love is still consistent. He knows that God's salvation is complete. He knows God still deserves praise. He knows that God's goodness is tangible. And it's this dramatic change in perspective as David chooses to declare what he knows in the midst of how he feels. And as we, as we come towards the end of our time this morning, let's just briefly look what David focuses his mind on, what he chooses to say he knows, the truths he declares. Firstly, he thinks about God's unfailing love. Then his salvation, the praises he deserves, the goodness that he's shown. These are, these are the timeless and eternal truths that David is declaring. In the middle of desperately hard and trying times, he's shifting his focus to the eternal, the unchanging nature of the God he loves. He shifts his perspective from I know to I feel, sorry, from I feel to I know. And what he knows are the timeless and eternal truths of God. And so whatever our circumstances are this morning, and I say that knowingly, I say that as lovingly as I can, whatever our circumstances are this morning, whether we can resonate with David's anguish very, very tangibly and personally or not, It is always a good thing to remind ourselves of the timeless and eternal truths of our God, of who he is, of what he's done, of how good he's been, of his unfailing love, of his joyous salvation, of the praises he deserves, of how he has shown his goodness. Now, it's it's very much one thing to say that and another to put it into practice. So, So it's okay to know that we should remind ourselves of these wonderful truths, but how are we actually going to do that? 
well, one of the main ways in which we do that, of reminding ourselves of these truths that we can know is to soak ourselves in God's word. It's the primary place where God's love is displayed. It's where we see his salvation explained. It's where the evidence for his praiseworthiness is. It's where we see his goodness shown. So soak ourselves in God's word. Read it. Pray it through. Spend time listening to it. Write verses out and stick them around your house. Memorize it. How good it is to recall God's truth, particularly in times of need. So how are we going to implement? How are we going to remind ourselves of these truths? How are we going to, going to solidify ourselves so that we can say that we know? Well, firstly, we grind ourselves, we soak ourselves in God's word so that we do indeed know those timeless truths. The second thing we can do to remind ourselves of these truths is to take communion together. It's one of the reasons why we, we take communion every week here at Gilnerhirk. And, and the reason is, uh, from this psalm, is that we see the fullness of these truths. These truths that David has been declaring, we see the fullness of them in Jesus. In Jesus, we see God's demonstration of his unfailing love. In Jesus, we see the embodiment of God's salvation plan. In Jesus, we have reason to praise In Jesus, we see the gift of God's goodness to us in the sending of his Son. And in communion, we remember all of these things as we remember Jesus. We think of his coming from heaven as God in human form. We consider his sinless life, his innocent death. We reflect on how he died in my place, taking the penalty of my sin upon himself, therefore satisfying God's holy wrath against sin so that I would know forgiveness and mercy we marvel at the gift of grace that we have been shown when we accept him as our lord and our savior we we wonder at the spirit who now indwells us empowering us to live a life of faithful obedience to him worthy of him and we wait we wait for his coming return in glory to rule and to reign over all creation these are the truths that we cling to These are the eternal, unchanging truths that show us God's love, God's salvation, God's praiseworthiness, and God's goodness. And so we remember and we reflect and we celebrate at communion. And in doing so, we are declaring the truths that David declared here. But as we we close our time in this psalm, let's, let's give thanks for the inclusion of this psalm in God's word. Because this psalm is such a gift to us to to show us how God invites our prayers in every season of life. It's also a gift to us because it shows that when we feel that things are going badly and, and things might go terribly badly, we can always say, even in the difficulty, I feel but I know. And what we know is that God's unfailing love is trustworthy. His salvation is a source of joy. His praises can always be sung. And God is ultimately good. This is, this is the God that we praise. The God that we adore. The God that we fear. The God that we fall before. The God that we cling to. The God who, who we put our hope in. This is our God. And he is good. And so we can say with David, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise 
for he has been good to me. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the reality in your word. We thank you that your word shows us that, that not only uh, do you understand some of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but you want to speak to us in the middle of them. And you speak to us with truth. And so, Father, I want to pray for those who find themselves in a situation that, that makes them resonate with David's cries here. Those of us who are crying out to God, how long? Lord, would you give us patience? Father, would you hear our prayer? We pray that you would answer those cries. And in doing so, Father, we thank you. However you respond to our cries, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that we may feel as if you're absent but you are never absent. We thank you that even though we feel that you may be distant, you are never distant. You never remove yourself from us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us not to stay in the I feel, but to know the truth of your word, to know that your love is trustworthy, to know that we can rejoice in your salvation, to know that you are praiseworthy, even in the midst of pain, to know that you have been good to us, And you are still good to us. And so, Father, I thank you. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the the honesty, the rawness, the emotion in it. But we thank you for the hope that we see in it. The reminder that indeed you are good. And in all these things, Father, we thank you for how not only this psalm, but your whole word speaks to us of Jesus. Points us to the reality of the the good grace that you've shown us as we as you sent your son to die on the cross for our sin. We thank you, Father. And we pray, Lord, that even as we reflect on that, as we join communion, God, may it be a source of of joy, of uplifting for us, however we're approaching the table this morning. So we thank you. We give you praise, knowing that you alone deserve it. And we ask that you would indeed be glorified in our midst, we pray. Amen.